You know, we started a, a sermon series a couple weeks back called Shape to Make a Difference. And it really is, a, is an amazing series on taking a look at the way God made us and how we're uniquely shaped, and then he made us on purpose for a purpose. Just out of curiosity, though, how many of you would say we live either, I'm going to give you two choices, a me-centric society or an others-centric society? Anybody say me-centric society, right? How about others-centric society? Anybody? No hands. So we live in a very me-centric society where we often are just and almost solely concerned with ourselves. When we have kids, that breaks us out of it for a period, right? And we're concerned about our kids when we get married, maybe a little to a lesser extent, but, but it breaks us out of it. So we're concerned about our spouse. We have grandkids, it breaks us out of it. Sometimes there's other relationships that sneak their way in there where we would actually say that we care about these people more than we do ourselves. But it's an interesting thing. And so when we start taking a look at a series about how God shaped us, there's a a me component, which is really important that we get how much God loves us, how we are made on purpose, that he designed us specifically. There was so much forethought that went into us that it just goes into part of why he loves us so much, why he was willing to save us. All that is just so powerful. And so if anything that you get out of this series, one of the things you should get is that I should have a God confidence as I walk through life that God thinks I'm special. Even if nobody else does, God thinks I'm special. And that should reshape and reframe your existence out here on this earth. But I want to kind of preface this other part. There is an others-centric part of this. God has given us skills and abilities and hearts and spiritual gifts and a purpose. It has nothing to do with us, but it has everything to do with everybody else. He's given us these things because he wants us to accomplish a purpose on this earth and it's for your all benefit. Not just for me, but for everybody else. So there's a me part and there's another's part. And so we started this series and we started taking a look at spiritual gifts last year and how God uniquely shaped us. In fact, we have some of the spiritual gift inventories in back. If you want to pick one up and you didn't get one last week or you're just interested, there's one of those back there. And today we're going to talk about the H in shape. Shape is an acrostic given by uh, Rick Warren and S was for spiritual gifts. H is for heart. And we're going to take a look at how God has shaped our heart uniquely and specially and why that makes a difference. In Proverbs 27, it just says this. It says, as a face is reflected in water, so the heart reflects a person. In other words, the heart shows who the person is. In other words, your heart makes you you. And when we talk about heart, we're talking about interests and your passions and your desires. We're talking about the emotional component that makes up who you are. It's not so much your intellect, but your emotions. So it's your hopes, and it's your dreams, it's your ambitions, it's what motivates you to get up in the morning, all those things. It's again, not so much your intellect, but it's what drives you and what excites you and what interests you, all the components that are making up your heart. And so your heart, the Bible tells us, affects everything you say. Out of the heart a man speaks. It affects everything you do. It affects everything you feel. And so you can say, I didn't mean to do that, but... It's a reflection of your heart inside, which is why you did that to begin with, whether good or bad. For example, have you ever wondered why some of the top athletes in the world are just so good at what they do? The answer to that is because they love what they do. God gave them a heart to run or jump or surf or play basketball or whatever. And the guys at the top of their field, the, the Olympic athletes, they don't do it for profit. They don't even do it for fame or glory most of the time. They do it because it's their passion. 
And so the word passion, I just want to give you, is another word for heart. And so when we talk about heart and how God shaped you, we're actually looking at our passions. We're talking about the things God has wired us to get excited about. And the reality is is that all of you here this morning are passionate about some things. For some of you, it just might be sports. For some of you, it might be Pinterest. I don't know. But he's given you a passion for something in this life. So why is this important? Because only passionate people tend to get things done. The flip side of that, of course, is this, is that not much is going to tend to get accomplished in this world if you don't have a passion for it. If you don't have a passion, it's very unlikely you're going to put in extra time to accomplish whatever it might be. So we look at Scripture and we see that Moses was passionate. Now, to be fair, he didn't start out passionate. But the more he saw God work through the miracles, the more he started seeing the Pharaoh's heart turn, the more he saw his people get excited about leaving the nation of Egypt, more and more passionate to God, and eventually he continued it all the way through until God freed them from slavery. Paul in the Bible was passionate about sharing the good news with the entire world, and he almost accomplished it. A guy named Martin Luther was passionate about reforming the church in Europe, and the Reformation and Enlightenment all came about because of the passion of one man. Then another guy, Martin Luther King, had a passion for equality and justice, and he very literally influenced the world. And so all I have to share is simply this, that God made you to shine in the midst of a dark world. He made you to shine, to be different, to be on purpose, to be unique. So he doesn't want you covering up your talents. He doesn't want you covering up your passions or your heart or your interests. In fact, it brings him pleasure when you do what you were created to do. You're made to shine. I think the unfortunate thing so often, though, is as people walk through life, their light gets dimmed a little bit. We just don't stay as bright as it is that God would want us to stay. For every person, God has put certain passions in their heart, certain desires, certain dreams, certain ambitions, certain interests. But the problem is, just as you look around, is that most people never really really capitalize on those things that God has given them. They've never really acted on or fulfilled or attempted or developed or utilized their God-given passions, interests, or dreams. In fact, really what we tend to do is we tend to bury them over time. Because before, but God doesn't want that. He, again, he wants us to shine. And so I want to ask you a question this morning as we begin talking about some of this stuff. And it's this, what is it that keeps you from following your passions? Right? What is it that trips you up? There, there's a few things in, in Scripture it, that it tells us that are passion killers or heart stoppers or like cholesterol in the, in the system. And it just stops our heart from working the way it's supposed to work. And so these things are like a spiritual cholesterol. They stop your passions. They cause you to conform to society rather than being the unique person that God meant for you to be. And one of the biggest heart stoppers that there is is a thing called disappointment. And have you ever been there? Disappointment? Yeah? When you've been hurt, you tend to pull back into a shell and say, I never want to get hurt again, ever. This hurts too bad, so I'm not going to put myself out there and I'm not going to do this. And then all of a sudden, maybe as a consequence, you just tend to give up on your dreams. You tend to give up on your ambitions. You tend to give up on your interests, your passions. You pull back into a protective mode that just says, not getting hurt. That's my number one mission in life. But that's not really living. It's just existing. You put yourself in a self-imposed prison that says, I just don't want to put myself out there too much because I'm afraid of what might happen if I really do. The Bible says that when we have an expectation and it doesn't turn out the way we intended, we get disappointed. It says this in Proverbs 11, or 13, 12. A hope deferred, that means a dream or an ambition or a heart desire deferred, makes the heart sick. 
But maybe just for a little perspective, even as we talk about this, if at first you don't succeed, welcome to the human race, right? It just means you're normal. Very few people, if ever, achieve everything they want on the first try. But often as we go through life, especially when we hit disappointment, we stop remembering that. And we give up. It's just too hard to keep going. We're meeting too many things that feel like struggle and struggle. We want to equate to, equate to failure, but it's not. But struggle's hard. And we give up and we allow disappointments to come into our life and almost consequently causes our heart to stop working. Another one is fear. Fear does it too. It's the second heart stopper that keeps you from being what God wants you to be. In every way, it's another self-imposed prison, actually. Jesus even told a story about it one time. He's telling a story about a wealthy man who was giving his servants some money, you know, to take care of while he was gone on this trip. They're called talents, but interestingly, it works both ways as I go through this. To the first servant, he gets five talents. To the one, he gets three. To the last one, he gets one talent. And he says, go out and invest it. Make the most of what you've been given, which is interestingly what God says to each and every one of us. I want you to make the most of what you've been given, he says. I'm not going to judge you according to anybody else, just you and what I've given you to work with. But he says this, make the most of what you've been given. Story goes on and one guy comes back and he's doubled his investment and the master says, hey, good job. The second guy comes back and he's doubled his investment and the master says, hey, great job. The third guy comes back and he says, I didn't do anything with it. Master says, what? I buried it in the ground. You buried your talent in the ground. Why? He said, I was afraid. Likewise, it's often fear that causes you to bury your talents today. It's fear that keeps you from living your dreams. It's fear that keeps you from attempting your goals. It's fear that corrals your passion and limits your vision and shrinks your heart. It's a heart stopper. Just think about how many things in life you haven't done because you've been afraid. And I'll give you this too, fear is not from God, right? It's something that we've learned over time. There's a lot of negative if we try this. But so often it causes us to do things that prevent us from really awesome things, like relationships or job changes or whatever it might be. The last big heart stopper is one that we call guilt. This is a big one because when you're guilty, you really have a hard time going after your dream at the same time. Why? Because guilt takes enormous amounts of energy. It's like carrying around a big garbage bag on your back all the time. And you're going to get tired over time because it gets heavy. Carrying around all the regrets of the past, all the shame of the past, all the guilt of your past. And you cannot be confident and guilty at the same time. That's why people lose their confidence. They lose their confidence because they think, what if somebody finds out? Or I told this person that, and I told this person this, and I have to remember, did I tell that right person this, and I have to remember what I told everybody, because if it leaks out and they find out, then I'm in trouble. God never intended you, though, to walk around with a weight of guilt. In fact, that's what Jesus Christ came to do. He came to erase all that. He came so that you might know and experience forgiveness. And when I talk about forgiveness, there should be a tangible before and after, right? When we talk about forgiveness, well, let's first talk about repentance. When you come to God, you're saying, I'm sorry, and I never want to do this again. That's what actual repentance looks like. It's not like, I'm sorry, God, I got caught. It's, I'm sorry, and because I love you, because I know you hate this, I never want to do it again. Give me strength to leave this. That's what repentance and contrition looks like. Sometimes it's hard to get that honest with God. It's hard to get in a place where we want to give him that much. 
Because part of us wants to do this sin again. I'll call them pet sins, and we keep going back to them. But repentance and contrition, it means, God, I'm so sorry. Please forgive me and give me the strength to walk away. And when God gives you that forgiveness, he's saying, okay, it's wiped away. And I'm going to give you the strength to go this way. To get you to a place where you never even think about that sin again. But there should be a tangible before and after. I shared a story last week about my daughter and I messed up. And she said, Daddy, I forgive you. I was reeked with guilt, beating myself up. I'm a lousy dad. She forgave me, and she loves me, and she gave me a hug, and all those feelings went away except for a commitment to to try to never disappoint her like that again. When God says, I forgive you, it's permission to let all that stuff go. Not the temporal consequences we have to deal with them, but all the baggage that we carry, all that false guilt now, false because Christ has forgiven it, we can let go. You should experience a freedom. And so he came to earth and was nailed to the cross so that you could stop nailing yourself to the cross. He was hung up for your hang-ups. He died for your sins so that you could be completely forgiven. He paid for them so that you didn't have to pay for them. So he says, stop beating yourself up. And when you do that, when you let go and you actually let God forgive you, then he's going to set your heart free. And you're going to have a peace and an energy and a freedom that you haven't had before to move ahead and become what God has always wanted you to be in the first place. Because I'm not carrying around that garbage bag of guilt and regret and shame and all the times I'm beating myself up, God says you're going to experience a freedom to move forward, and it's awesome. But that disappointment and that fear and that guilt we talked about, those are heart stoppers. So you need to go back and erase the tape in your life. You need to stop building your life on the disappointments and fear and guilt of what people have said to you in the past, of what you've said to them in the past, of what they've done to you in the past, of what you've done to them in the past, and start building your life on what God says about you. And this is what he says, by the way. God says to you, I made you, and I formed you, my child, in your mother's womb. I shaped you, I planned you, I have a purpose for your life, and because I love you, I sent my only son, Jesus, down to this earth to die for you so that you might have life in heaven forever with me, so that you could have forgiveness and have freedom to be who I created you to be. Know that I've put certain abilities and passions in your heart and that I love it when you are and when you do what I made you to do. So know that you're mine and that I will love you always. And when we remember that, it gives us a strength and yes, even a perspective to get going with life, to start being all that God created you to be. As we talked about, sometimes it's just hard. Sometimes it makes it hard to remember the things that he says. So the question is, is how do we overcome these heart stoppers in life that seem to trip us up so often? How can we work at it with all our heart when our heart hurts? How can I work at it with all my heart when my heart's been beaten up or bruised or broken or battered around inside? And God says if that's where you are and you're working with fear and you're living with disappointment and you've kind of just become victim to them, he says, this is what I want you to do. And the first thing scripture says is that if you're in this place, you need to open your heart to God. Open it as wide as you can to the one who created your heart in the first place. That's the start. It's this idea of being vulnerable. 
I think, you know, we come into church and we're so busy with life, but we got like an hour here to just kind of focus on something different, on something that might actually touch our heart, on something that, that God is trying to get a message that he's trying to get to us right now. And the only way you can do that in the context of worship is if you open yourself up to it, if you're vulnerable to what it is that God is trying to say. So we open our heart to God because nobody can change a heart like Jesus can. I don't care what your heartache you've been through, what habit you're dealing with, what hang-up you can't let go of. Nobody can heal the heart like Jesus can. So we give him our heart. Why? Because God is an amazing at heart transplants. He's given us these passions and these desires and these dreams. Those all came from God, right? And God put those in your heart and he hardwired it into you to make you who you are right now. And this is very important. Unless they're under God's control, they will be misused and abused and misapplied and wasted in your life. God did not give them to you. He did not give you this heart and these interests and these passions for your own benefit. So that you go, I'm going to do whatever I want, God. Forget you. No, God gave them to you for a purpose. And unless you use them for that purpose, they do get misused and wasted and misapplied. Some of you are saying here, Pastor, I don't know if I really am passionate about anything right now. And if that's true of you, then it speaks to a larger issue. It just means right now you're, you're a little bit disconnected from God. Because you cannot be connected to God and be dispassionate. When you're plugged into God, it's like plugging into 220 volts and you're passionate. And there's people in your life that are passionate about God and you get around them and you think, man, I wish I had the joy that they're experiencing right now and I wish I had the peace that they have right now and I wish I had the certainty or that trust that they are able to walk around in life with because I'm freaking out. And it encourages you and it motivates you and it makes, them want, makes you want to be around them more. In fact, the closer you get to God, the more passionate you become. The further away from God, the more dispassionate you become. Why? Because God is a passionate God. The only reason you have these emotions anyway is because God put them in you, because he is an emotional God. Scripture says that God gets jealous when he sees you ignoring him for something else. Scripture says that God has love, that God has feelings that can be heard, that the only reason that you have emotions is because God gave them to you, because he's an emotional God. That's what God says to you with all that emotion. He says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. And I'll never stop loving you. There's nothing that can make me stop loving you. And that's passion. That no matter what you've done wrong, God says, because of Jesus, I will forgive, I will heal, and I will love you. And passion's infectious. Why? Because who you hang out does with does make a difference. When you hang out with God, you're going to become more and more passionate You're going to become more passionate about life and what it is that he wants you to do because that's what passion is. It's your heart. So you've got to open up your heart. And if you want it to be healed, you've got to open up your heart and then let him do the second piece, which is going to make a lot of sense when I say it. Let him heal your heart. I don't know why it is that people go to God and say, God, forgive me, but then refuse to receive his forgiveness. He died on the cross. He suffered all that. He rose again so that you could say thank you, not so that you could keep beating yourself up. Let him heal your heart. Everybody here, and I say this because everybody here has had their heart broken. At some point, maybe it's by disappointment, maybe because of fear, maybe because of guilt or shame, maybe because of rejection or hurt, whatever it might be. And whatever your hurt that you've experienced in the past, I want you to know I am sorry about that. The hurt that you experience, I care about as your pastor. I really do. But there's something even greater than that, and that's that God cares about your hurt. And he hurts with you. 
In fact, the Bible says it is in your pain that God is closest to you, whether you realize it or not. He says in Psalm 34, the Lord is close and not distant to the brokenhearted, and he saves those who are crushed in spirit. How does he do that? He does it by giving you a heart transplant. He says that heart you got, it's beat up, it's wounded, I want to give you a new one. Let me give you some examples of that. He says that heart that's been guilty, and you haven't been able to forgive yourself, and you haven't been able to move on, and you've been carrying that garbage bag, I'll give you a heart that's forgiven. That heart that's been resentful, and you just can't let go of some hurt from the past, and you keep rehearsing it, and you keep feeling the pain anew every time you go through it. He said, I want to give you a heart that's full of peace. That heart that's been anxious, I want to give you a heart that's confident. That heart that's lonely, I want to give you a heart that's full of love. That heart that's been bitter and angry, I want to give you a heart that's forgiving and loving and generous and kind. Let me do a heart transplant in you, and I will set you free. Freedom. It's a word that we keep coming back to, that there should be a tangible freedom when you let God do his thing in your life. And why do we need this freedom? Because we're all enslaved. We're a slave of the expectations of other people. What will they think if I do this or that? We're slaves to past memories. We're slaves to future fears. We're slaves to current pressures. We're slaves to the opinions of society and on and on. But with Jesus Christ, when you open up your heart to him and you say, God, I'm not just going to give you 98% of my heart. I'm going to give you the whole thing. I'm going to trust you to heal it. And if you do, if you trust him to heal it, here's his promise. He will. Guys, you have no idea what God wants to do in your life. And my prayer today is just this, that you would stop limiting him and experience the freedom and the forgiveness and yeah, even the passions that he promises. And all God's people said, amen. Let us pray. Father, we love you and we, we thank you for making us unique and special. I think sometimes we get awful critical on your work, your handiwork, but Father, you made us for a purpose and you made us on purpose and the stuff that we've got to work with, you've hand-designed and you've put a lot of forethought into it. Father, sometimes we walk through life and we're frustrated because we haven't figured out the reasons why it is that you've given us these gifts in the first place or we're bucking against what you want us to do because we want to do something different. But we pray today, Lord, as we, as we walk through this time, that you'd help us understand who it is that you've made us to be. That you'd help us embrace the gifts and the hearts and the skills that you've given us to, to really do work for you. That you'd give us opportunities to share our faith, that you'd give us opportunities to claim our love for you, even in the area of finance. That you'd allow us to say, Lord, we want you to be first in our life. And so we pray all those things today. In the name of Jesus and all God's people said. Amen.